you miss the bull market and you're asking yourself, what do I do now? Do I dive in right here on the heels of a NASDAQ up 35%? And if I do jump in, what should I buy? And finally, if I dive in at these levels, am I the greater fool that will be laughed at by friends and family? Look, all tough questions. And if you've been in the investing game for any length of time, you've been faced with this dilemma more than once. Look at past decisions and ask yourself, how did that work out? There's no shame in getting it wrong. The only bad move is staying wrong. If your process is telling you to stand your ground in the face of a market knocking down brick after brick on the wall of worry, then so be it. But if you're like an increasing number of investors that can look at the data as it exists today and have come to realize the glass is half full instead of half empty, then do something about it. Welcome to The Money Runner. I'm David Nelson. There are two narratives driving market action. The first is well understood. The bear camp, which includes some of the brightest minds on Wall Street, insist that with rates where they are today and the Federal Reserve determined to break the economy, markets are set to retest the October 2022 lows. They come in with strong credentials as having sidestepped a brutal bear market and make valid points to consider. Let's look at a few. Current valuations for the broad market are excessive in the face of high interest rates. Massive job openings will force the Fed to stay higher for longer in a never-ending quest to slow down the economy. The Fed always goes too far and will force the economy into recession. Inflation will be sticky, forcing the Fed to stay tight. And finally, the unknowable black swan factor as tensions between the United States and China ramp higher, increasing the odds of a military confrontation. A lot of the points above are hard to push back against, in part because they're true. Most valuation models start with the risk-free rate. And with Fed funds sitting above 5%, valuation has to be at least part of the conversation. In a vacuum, this factor alone would force you to reduce exposure. Higher from longer, that really makes the most sense, especially when you consider that China and the United States are in the early stages of decoupling, decoupling the two economies. China has been a deflationary force, providing cheap labor and goods for decades. And like it or not, goods manufactured locally are going to be more expensive. The process of onshoring supply chains and or reducing exposure to China, that's already begun. I've discussed in previous pods how Apple and others are starting to transfer at least some of their manufacturing footprint to other countries like India. The black swan factor, that's maybe the toughest to push back against. China is a rising geopolitical threat in every sense of the word. And as long as President Xi is in power, I can see no choice but to continue to accelerate efforts to decouple our economies even at the risk of increased inflation and decreased potential GDP. The alternative of appeasement is not acceptable, 
at least to yours truly. The bull case, that's been a much tougher sell, in part because so few believe it. Given the rush into treasuries and the billions in cash and cash equivalents sitting on the sidelines is a clear endorsement of the bear narrative. I think of it differently. All that cash is a massive supply of fuel that could drive markets further than most believe. For that to happen, we're going to need a catalyst or trigger, and there are several that come to mind. First is the most obvious. The Fed eventually gets the message that they don't need to push higher in Fed funds. Last week's inflation data confirmed what stocks have been saying for months. We had back-to-back inflation reports, CPI and PPI, both coming in better than expected. As you can see from this chart, Fed funds is above all the headline inflation numbers. We are clearly in restrictive territory. All they have to do is stand their ground. If the Fed is, as they say, data dependent, then what is the data telling them right now? To date, a July hike is still in the forecast, and I'm on record saying that that's a policy error. I've got one Fed governor on my side, Raphael Bostic, Atlanta Fed president. He says the Fed is done, implying there is no need to raise further. Unfortunately, he's not a voting member. The outlook for September is less certain. Following the last inflation prints, the odds of a September hike have gone down a little bit. Looking into 2024, markets are currently pricing in close to 140 basis points of Fed cuts by the end of next year. That will, by definition, relieve at least some of the drag of multiple compression on equity valuations. I used to be in that camp, but I've changed my view. The more likely setup is a Fed that does stay higher for longer. I am a believer that the only sustainable path for the U.S. is a full decoupling with China, limiting activity to essential trade and hopefully avoid all-out military confrontation. They need food and we need advanced materials essential for our economy. Let's do that. The pipe dream of U.S. companies gaining increased access to the Chinese consumer comes at too high a cost. Corporate America needs to wake up from this opium-induced fog and the practice of handing over intellectual property to sell your product. If we follow the path I'm suggesting, then the Fed will have to maintain a higher-for-longer framework. I'm okay with that. Most of the 90s witnessed 5% Fed funds, and markets were just fine. Finally, there's a third narrative, and this one will drive the bears nuts. In the next few years, stocks could rise to levels that will make even bulls blush. Too many on Wall Street make a mistake focusing their bear thesis on the run-up in AI heavyweights like NVIDIA. The meteoric rise of this chip stock is certainly more understandable than slower growth companies like Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet. The real story is what's taking place downstream as company after company uses large language models and machine learning to enhance both the top and bottom line. Each week, I've mentioned another company adopting AI technology. A few weeks ago, it was John Deere putting over 30 cameras on large sprayers, feeding information back to computers, making the machinery capable of distinguishing between weeds and crops. 
You don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the economic and health benefits that come from such an undertaking. General Motors is adding cameras to advanced assembly lines capable of spotting potential faults in robotics earlier than thought possible. Downtime at a company this large can cost $20,000 a minute. This week, I bring you the airline industry. Understanding data drives airline profitability. Getting your logistics right in every part of the planning phase, right down to anticipating how many sandwiches you'll need on a flight so you're not throwing away unused items, drops right to the bottom line. As a commercial pilot, I can tell you the real exciting stuff is in the cockpit. The pilots are all qualified flight officers, but today's modern pilot is first a systems engineer. Future aircraft will eventually eliminate the co-pilot as modern planes can already land themselves. Machine learning will make it just that much safer and, of course, save airlines billions of dollars along the way. At risk of repeating myself, virtually every company is going to be using artificial intelligence to enhance their productivity. Fortune 500 executives that fail to meet that challenge will be quickly replaced by those who get it. Take notice, the same is true for many workers, especially middle-level executives and information data professionals. If you don't learn to use these new tools, you will be replaced by those that do. Here are some important points to consider. A study by the McKinsey Global Institute found that a 10% increase in productivity can lead to a 5% increase in the market value of a company. A study by the Boston Consulting Group found that companies with high productivity tend to have higher returns on equity and lower cost of capital. MIT Sloan School says about 92% of large companies are achieving returns on their investments in artificial intelligence, and the same percentage are increasing their AI investments. The point is, once corporations start to embrace the science, productivity on a grand scale can march higher. You probably think what I'm speaking to is years away. Venture capitalist Mark Andreessen said the following, the opportunities are profound. AI is quite possibly the most important and best thing our civilization has created. Certainly on par with electricity and microchips. It's probably bigger than that. If productivity can drive equity valuations higher, then by definition, market multiples may be in the early stages of rising. Estimates for 2024 earnings currently are $241. Each multiple or price earnings point higher adds 241 points to the S&P 500. Even taking the P.E. ratio up just one point, based on just the anticipation of what I'm suggesting, takes you to 4820 wiping out the bear market and putting the S&P 500 at another all-time high. We could debate how long it will take to get there, but we're getting there. So what do you do now? After all of the above, you probably still have some concerns, and you're asking yourself, who is this David Nelson money runner guy, and why should I trust him? You don't have to. Today is probably one of the best times I've seen for asset allocators in more than a decade. Are you tired of watching the market push higher but still too afraid to risk your hard-earned money? 
Here is a process and plan that can get you there with a big margin of safety. Start off by putting 50% of your money in a one-year T-bill, locking in 5% today. Put at least 50% of the remaining in the market and scale in the rest over the next few months, but get in. Zero-rate policy by the Fed forced too many to extend their risk, pushing farther into stocks than what was likely appropriate. And last year, you got burned. The above gives you an opportunity to invest in one of the great secular growth themes in a generation with a margin of safety and portfolio that will let you sleep at night. Is the above a guarantee? No. But it's a process that can help repair your portfolio and retirement with a measure of safety we haven't seen in years. If you want to learn more about how I run money in good times and bad, scoot over to my website, themoneyrunner.us. Lots of extras, and you can even set yourself up to be a guest on this podcast. And of course, as always, we hope you'll hit subscribe and become part of the Money Runner family. Thanks for joining. I'm David Nelson.